in prayer. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for the opportunity to bring our hearts before you in humility, confessing to you our sin, Lord, rejoicing in the pardon that we have only in the blood of Christ. And Lord, then to sing to you who is worthy of all honor and adoration, whose angels stand before him constantly singing holy, 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 the Lord Almighty. That Lord, you are the one that holds us fast. You are sovereign over us, Lord, even in our tears and even in our struggles in life, regardless of what we're going through, that Lord, you are there. Lord, we ask for your help in these ways. Lord, as we turn um, in a few moments to your word that you would speak to us. These are your words. Father, we pray uh, not just for ourselves, but other churches, Lord. We lift up Beaver Creek Christian Church this morning that you would be with them, Lord, that you would make yourself known to them, that you would shape them by your word. Lord, use them in the ministry of this community. Lord, we lift up those in the Reformed Baptist Network, lift up Mercy Baptist Church to you in Westchester, Ohio, that you'd be with them this morning, that you would strongly support them, Lord, in their work in ministry. Father, we don't forget to pray for the persecuted church, as your word tells us, that many believers around the world are fleeing for their lives or hiding, and even have to worship in underground places or in, in, in quiet corners, Lord, that they may not be heard or seen. But you see them and you know them and you call us to pray for them and to even uh, pray as if we are in chains with them. And so, Lord, we just lift up the church, the the persecuted church specifically, Lord. We pray for um, specifically for the persecuted church in Morocco this morning, Lord, in North Africa, that you would be with believers there, Lord, and you would strengthen them and help them, Lord, in their time of need. Father, we uh, pray, too, that you would take the gospel to the nations. We know that this is your will. You've called us to go and take this great commission, take this gospel to the nations. And so, Lord, we pray for the unreached people of the Biao Main of China, that you would send missionaries to them, Lord, that translation work would begin in their their tongue, in their dialect, that they might read your word in their heart language, that they might hear of your love for them and your Uh, mercy unto them through the cross of Christ, and Lord, that you would save them, we pray. So we ask that you would uh, bring missionaries to them, Lord. Father, we lift up our world to you. There's much trouble around the world which we are accustomed to reading and hearing about, but Lord, we know that you're you're involved in in the workings of uh, things going on around the world. We lift up the Sudan crisis, Lord, in uh, Khartoum, that, Lord, you would protect um, uh, innocent lives, Lord, that as these two warring parties uh, fight in the city, that, Lord, you would uh, be with um, all these different nations trying to get their um, people out of the embassies. And so, Lord, we just pray for your grace there, that you would work all these things according to your will, Lord, because you are sovereign over all nations. Lord, to the war in Ukraine, that you would show yourself strong there, that you would uh, strongly support your church, both in Russia and Ukraine, that they would minister to your people, uh, call people out of 
sin into Christ. And so, Lord, we pray for your grace there, even in the midst of that. Lord, we thank you for the update that we were able to hear from Asia Minor Ministries and our, our partnering with them after the Turkey and Syria earthquake, Lord, that you would continue uh, to relieve uh, the saints there and give them uh, strong support to minister to their communities. We thank you for these small homes being built and the soup kitchens to feed many hungry and displaced people. Lord, would you give your grace to these. Father, we pray for um, the nation in, in multiple ways that we're grieving. Uh, we think of the many natural disasters in our own country, from the Florida flooding uh, down in the Fort Lauderdale area to the tornadoes in the Midwest in the last few weeks and people losing their homes to the shootings in various places, that, Lord, there's so many in need of your touch, that, Lord, you would raise up your believers in all places to minister and to share your gospel. Father, we pray for our expectant mothers. We thank you for them. We thank you for these wonderful children in the womb, that you would grow them, Lord, that you would bring these babies to full term. Lord, we particularly lift up Kaylee to you, who's been on bed rest, and Lord, that you would um, just help her and and um, be with her, Lord, as she approaches her delivery date. Father, we lift up our church plan down in Wilkesboro, Christ alone. We pray for Pastor Bullington, that you would be with him this morning as he preaches your word, that he would feel uh, the, the closeness of your spirit as you give him utterance to, to preach your word. Lord, for the saints there, that you would encourage them and strongly exhort them this morning. And Lord, that they would rejoice in you. And finally, Lord, as we turn our hearts to your word this morning, would you be exalted and lifted up and not glorified just in the preaching of your word, but our obedience to it. Call us, we pray, and help us to answer in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. I trust each of you are well and your spring is starting well. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12, picking up exactly where we left off uh, last week, having uh, got many of the genealogies uh, behind us, uh, we come to a new portion, really, of the book of Genesis. There's a, a transition here. So uh, if you would, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, and would you stand with me as we read God's Word? We'll be ver reading verses 1 through 9 this morning. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. This is God's Word. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go far or go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram's, Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country 
on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. This ends the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. One of our favorite movies as a family um, is, is actually quite old, but it's the movie Cars, if you've seen that before. Uh, we have memorized many one-liners from that, but one of my favorite parts is when the husband and wife are driving into what we know as Radiator Springs from the movie, the wife says, look, honey, map's for sale, and the husband quickly responds, we got a GPS, there's no need for another map ever again. The funny thing that comes from this is that even since then, technology has developed in GPS technology that almost our lives are completely dependent upon it. In fact, to tell someone how to get anywhere without one is often a joke. We are so dependent upon them today, we don't even have the skills to find locations without one. As we look at our text this morning, we see here a man called by God to go to a place that he had never been. You can imagine the fear, the anxiety, the other things that would be tempted uh, by, or that, that Abram would have been tempted by in these kinds of situations. But as we've seen in the uh, narrative of Genesis, God initiates relationships with his people. We've seen this, obviously, in Adam and Eve, and then with Noah, and then now here to the time of Abram. He's dealt with the world at large with the flood, and then uh, dealt with those that were gathered at Babel, and their languages were confused. And now we see here in the context of Genesis 12 that God is again initiating a relationship with one man. We considered this last week, that there was a genealogical line and then a genealogical family that he's going to work in and through. But as we see here, he's calling him out. This is the context of this passage. But it's at this moment that all these years have uh, been working up to this point that God is working his eternal plan of redemption. We've seen this from the very beginning, all the way back to Genesis 3.15, that he is going to raise up a seed that would be a blessing. We saw this in the lives of multiple people up until this point, and now we see Abram on the scene. And so I want to look at this text that is very important and a, a huge transitional passage into the rest of Scripture, let alone the rest of Genesis. First of all, it's a journey that God is calling Abram to follow him in. First of all, it's a journey of relationship to him that we'll look at in verses 1 and verse 7. Secondly, it's a journey of faith in the promises of God. God is making particular promises to Abram and let alone his descendants. Thirdly, we see that this journey of faith is a journey of obedience to God. And we'll see that in verse 4 through 6. And then finally, a journey of faith in the worship of God that uh, Abram models, and yet God brings us uh, in this text. So let's take a look at these one at a time. First of all, look at verse 1 here. The context from last week, as we saw that these genealogies uh, have brought us to the person of Abram, and we talked about this outline of 
even verse 31 and 32 at the end of chapter 11 is really uh, introducing who Abram was and what the context of his family life was. In fact, he had lost a brother and he has his nephew with him and he's following with his family. Notice it says here in in verse 12, now, or in uh, chapter 12, verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, I want to pause there for a moment. This is, again, by reminder, when we're reading the Bible in English, you see the capital L-O-R-D there. That is God's covenant name. He is speaking, notice, to Abram. And I don't want to miss this because it's super important when we are looking at God's word, we notice very great details by observation. Notice it is God speaking. It is God making the initiative. God is calling out to Abram. Abram wasn't looking for God. He was going about his life in Ur of the Chaldeans, as we saw at the end of chapter 11. He is living his life, and God initiates a relationship with Abram. And we know that because this continues from this point. It wasn't one conversation. It was the beginning of many that God would have. And so isn't it true with us this morning that God initiates a relationship at some point with you, that you heard the gospel, no matter whose voice it was from, that God was calling out to you, and by his grace he gave you faith to turn in repentance to him. And that began a relationship. And maybe you remember the excitement of that. Well, we see here in this text that God speaks. And notice what he speaks in verse 1. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now, for any of us who have moved, you know how great stress that is. But can you imagine telling your friends, uh, we're going to move, and they go, well, where are you moving? And you're like, well, I don't really know. <laughs> they would think you're crazy. But not just is he going to move, they're also to leave their kindred. What they hold dear. And oftentimes when we are moving, we leave people behind. And notice your father's house to the land that I will show you. It's interesting that we'll see modeled here Abram's walk of faith with the Lord is not just he doesn't tell him where he's going, but he says, I will show you. In other words, you're going to get information as I see it necessary to come to your ears. The journey of faith is not always and rarely is a walk of sight. In fact, the scriptures tell us we're to walk by faith, not by sight. It doesn't mean that we walk blindly because we see clearly who is speaking to us. God is to be trusted. And while we know from even good catechism questions that God cannot be seen, he sees us. But notice here, God is initiating still a call to him, and he's firming this up through multiple issues of promise, mainly in the two words, I will. When God says he will do something, he does it. He's not like fickle mankind who 
promises something that is empty and is not fulfilled. He says here in verse 2, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So not, is, not only is he initiating relationship, but he has given his promises, which we'll look at in a minute. But jump down here to verse 7 while we're considering this relationship. It wasn't just a one-time thing, as we'll see as we walk through the narrative of Genesis. But down in verse 7, notice the Lord appears to him again when he's in the land after he goes. And he says, to your offspring I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. We see here that God's sovereign plan is twofold. First of all, God is working, as we've seen in weeks past, his sovereign plan in the nations to bring all things to his praise and his glory. And if you've been paying attention, he's summed down all of the nations down to this one man, Abram. This is God's plan. This is his sovereign plan. It doesn't mean that he's forgotten the nations, because it's a glorious truth here, right in the context of these scriptures, that God is going to use this very plan to bless the nations. So if you've ever read through the Old Testament and you're saying, man, God seems to like sideline pretty much everyone. You ever seen that? These, these nations that don't fear him, they're lost in their sin and they're lost and undone. And yet the glories of the scriptures, his glorious plan of redemption is that he's going to use this very line to bring this promised seed from Genesis 3.15 who will not only save his people, but use this people to take this blessing to the nations. God is passionate about his name being exalted in the nations. It was one of the reasons that we saw the Tower of Babel. They were building a name for whom? Themselves. And isn't this the call of the gospel? That we would come and die. That we might find life in him. For he is worthy. And he is to be exalted. So he's calling Abram to himself, just like he is calling you and I to himself this morning. Whether you've been walking with him for 50 years or whether this is the first time you're hearing of such a relationship that you can have with the living God. He calls you to come by faith, not by sight. And so this wasn't a one-time thing. The Lord appeared and talked with Abram and focused him on what God was calling him to do. And so here we see that he has Abram's attention. God's instructing him. Notice that he's calling him to a foreign land, ultimately to follow him. You know, as we walk by faith, we know that God is doing this very work to follow him step by step. We know from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8, it informs us that Abram went out not knowing where he was going. Now, God gave him directions as he went to go in the direction of Haran and Canaan and so on and so forth. But the details were not there. He didn't know where he's going. He had never been there before. And this is true of the Christian life. While we know that God calls us out of our own sin and depravity and he meets us where we're at and he pulls us out of the mire and he gives us life and he regenerates us and he makes us to know him and to realize his mercy upon our lives, he is calling us to continually follow after him. 
And it's an invitation to a journey, not a destination per se. That destination ultimately will end in the celestial city, which we'll end with this morning. But it is a journey. It's one day at a time. We don't just arrive. And while our situations are different and unique as each person is here today, God was accomplishing not just Abram's salvation, but we'll see here he is ultimately making a way to purchase the salvation of all of his people. And notice this happens with a geographical location. He's calling them to a a particular place. This place that God chose to make his name known in the nations, this is why even to today we call Jerusalem the holy city. This this place in this geographical location that God is bringing his people to. He is planning this and working this as we see in the narrative of Genesis. So notice here, before we look at these promises that were made to Abram, he puts him where he wants him. I think it's important to see in God's providence in our own lives that God puts you where he wants you. His sovereign plan in your life is to put you in West Jefferson, North Carolina this morning. In fact, we find ourselves in this particular text this morning, hearing these particular words that God is working in and through your jobs and your families and all things to bring to you the reminder of his gracious love, care, and providence in your life. Consider for a moment the three passages here. By way of observation, I want us to see here too, before we look at these promises, that notice at the end of verse 5, he goes from Canaan and then he departs there for Shechem. And you'll see where I'm going here. That's the first one. The second place he goes, we notice that it even mentions the oak there in verse 8 between Bethel and Ai. And then lastly, verse 9, he goes on to the Negev. Now, these places are significant. That's why I point them out. That the journey of faith that Abram's on is ultimately going to be paralleled in the book of Genesis in multiple places, let alone in the book of Joshua. Consider these exact same places. Consider Abram's grandson, Jacob. Turn over to Genesis 33 real quick, and I'll give you a sneak peek, and we'll come back to this text. And you'll see why I'm taking this detour, because it's significant for us to see as an outline of where the author of Genesis, Moses is um, drawing these conclusions here uh, and, and really introducing some ideas. In chapter 33, go down to verse 18. Genesis chapter 33, down to verse 18, and it says this, and Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem. Remember that from our text? Which is in the land of Canaan, also in our text, on his way from Padanaram, and he camped before the city, and from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. And therefore he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. So he says God, the God of Israel, and he commits this land and worships the Lord on it, but he buys a piece of it. And why is that significant? Well, it's the same land that Abram, two generations earlier, was journeying through. And why is that important? Well, let's continue to look at this. 
Then turn over to chapter 35 of Genesis, verses 2 and 4. God initiates a relationship with Jacob, his, Abram's grandson. He says, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. And notice what he instructs him to do. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Verse 2, so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away your foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us rise, let us go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. The same exact cities and locations are mentioned here. It's not a coincidence. God is working something in the context of this. Then turn over to Joshua now. Joshua, we, we're not gonna have time to read all these passages, but I just want you to see this connection and you can go back and even read the narrative of Joshua later, uh, and I think it'll be an encouragement to you. Um, we'll just turn to se chapter 7 uh, real quickly. Joshua chapter 7. And notice the context of the conquest of Canaan begins, of course, with Jericho in chapter 6. And then in, verse, or in chapter 7, we see that they go up to Ai. And um, just to uh, paraphrase it for you, remember, they go up to Ai. Uh, Achan has gone in. He's sinned and has taken all the um, forbidden things that he was not, not to take. And Joshua's troubled. They lose a bunch of soldiers. And then Achan's sin is dealt with. His family is killed. And then in chapter 8, we see now the fall of Ai. And guess where they staked out their conquest? It's between Ai and Bethel. And as the people of Ai came out, they came up and attacked them, and God gave them victory. And there was victory again at Ai. And these were the early battles of the conquest of Canaan that are fulfillment of what two generations before God had said, I will give you this land. But in the history of mankind, when land is given to someone who's already on it, that means what? War. Even, the, in, even in our present day, we see this in action. The, the whole skirmish even between Russia and Ukraine right now is over land. Whose is it? Who belongs there? Who, who has control over it? Land is important. And we see here that in the context of Scripture, guess what? God can decide whoever he chooses to give the land to. And so we see that. Now, it's not over yet. Now, turn to the end of the book of Joshua. Turn to Joshua chapter 24. On your way there, you could also see in chapter 11, um, you, if, just by way of future reading, those are the conquests of the nations that God had promised Abram. Go to the end now of Joshua chapter 24. Look down to verse 23 of chapter 24. Very end of the book of Joshua. He says this to uh, the people there, very similar to the words of Jacob that we just read. It says, he said then, put away your foreign gods that are among you, incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. And so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and they put in place statues and rules for them at where? Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. Remember, Moses is the author of Genesis. Joshua was writing these things down in the very text that we're reading 
were written after Joshua, but we know that these beginning texts, that God inspired them and told them to put these things down, which we read today. And he says, and he took a large stone and he set up there the terebinth, under the terebinth tree that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with the Lord your God. And so Joshua sent the people away every man to his inheritance. The land had been conquered. That's what the book of Joshua is about. It's a fulfillment of the very promises that we're reading in Genesis 12. Now, why did I take that side tour? Well, it's significant that Genesis chapter 12, and you can go back there, is speaking to us about ultimately the outline of what God will do in bringing his people to these very places, and that he's initiating a relationship, but it's a relationship that is ongoing with um, the people of God. And so here we see that God speaks to us and he's speaking to his people through his word. And while there's many temptations, if you noticed that he was calling them constantly to put away their idols, there's constantly a temptation to go back to Ur of the Chaldeans. It's always easy to go back to what we're familiar with in a fleshly way. As John Bunyan so well writes in his classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, that we are to follow or fight against the sway of the wicked one on our trip to the celestial city. And so this journey of faith is one of relationship, as we see here in the text, who guides our every step. And it was guiding Abram's every step. He leads, we are called to follow. But notice also that he makes promises now. Let's look at verse 2. In verse 2, he says these words, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, if we're paying attention, connecting verse 1 and verse 2 here, we see really four parts of this promise. Notice it started with the land, which we've already covered. Now here, look in verse 2. What is the promise? It continues that he's going to make Abram a great nation. His name, Abram's name, would be great. He would use it in a way of blessing. So in outline form here, we really see what God is doing. First of all, if you are going to start a great nation, what do you need? Well, we've already established you need a land. And if there's other people on that land, then we're seeing the very outline of the Old Testament, that that land will be uprooted, or those in it will be uprooted, and God's people will be given that land. So if you're going to continue starting a nation, what's the next thing? Well, you need people. And notice that the text of Scripture has already led us to this, even in the genealogy of Abram following Terah and let alone Shem before them, there's all kinds of babies being born. The world is being repopulated. And we looked at this last week that we see as we get into uh, the end of the genealogy in chapter 11, verse 30, it comes to a screeching halt with the very words that are almost hard to read. And it says, Sarai was barren. She had no child. In a genealogy, Genealogies are about babies. It's about the blessing of the womb and comes to a screeching halt here in verse 30. 
And then we see the promise is that from Abram is going to come this blessing to the nations, and he doesn't even have one son. So what is the issue here? We're seeing here God is calling Abram, not just to a a journey of um, trusting the Lord by faith in his relationship with him, but to trust his promises that can't be seen, let alone how they could even come to pass. Isn't that true in the Christian life? We hear God's great and precious promises to us as his people. And we say, how in the Lord are you going to do that, Lord? When we're so discouraged, how is it that we are truly going to endure till the end? What does it mean that you're truly going to save us from ourselves? Even in your struggle against sin, perhaps you're discouraged in the Christian life. And you're like, how is this going to be possible? Can I really change? And so the hope here from Genesis chapter 12, the resounding yes comes from the text. That what seems impossible for man is possible with God. And God, and God only, is able to do for us what he promises he will do. And he told Abram that he is going to make him a great nation. Secondly, he says that God is going to make his name. He's, he's underlining this, not just, just, just uh, progeny here, but his name being great. Now, when you consider this in the context of the rest of the scripture, Abram's name certainly is famous as the first patriarch of the faith. The apostle Paul uses him as an illustration of what it means to live by faith, being accounted to him as righteousness in Romans 4. The author of Hebrews says in the famous Hall of Faith passage in chapter 11, saying that he's an example of faith that we also ought to have. Truly, his name is seen in his lifetime even as great, as the nations fear him in the establishment of himself in Canaan. And even down to today, we study this. Fourth part of the promise, notice It's not just nation, name, and land, but notice the fourth part of the promise is that we see that Abram would be a blessing to the world. Now, this is multifaceted because we see this in two different areas. First of all, there's a physical uh, side of this, but also the spiritual side. He's going to be a blessing, let alone that God is going to build a people out of himself. That's a physical line that ultimately will come in the Messiah, you go to Matthew chapter 1, guess what is the first one of the names that is mentioned in Matthew chapter 1 as a genealogy of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Abram was there. Son of Adam, going, following all the way back to uh, Adam, that God is promised to bring this Messiah. Secondly, it's not just in a physical way, but we see here the example of what it means to follow him by faith that there's going to be a sense of blessing that comes on the nations because of what Abram is exemplifying and what God is displaying through his life. Jesus himself uses Abram as an example to the Jews in his day. Turn over to John chapter 8, verse 56. John chapter 8. Of course, the Jews were uh, thinking that Jesus was a blasphemer and there's no possible way that he could be who he was claiming to be, and perhaps no other clear text 
in the New Testament right here of Jesus claiming to be God himself. Notice he says in John chapter 8, verse 56, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. This is Jesus' commentary on Abram and his faith. Notice. That Abram rejoiced that he would see my day. Well, what is Jesus referring to there? He's referring to Abraham's forward-looking in faith to the promises of God. That there's some way that God is going to use my moving to this weird land. And he's going to use the people that I don't even have and I can't even produce because my wife is barren. That he's going to use this to bring a line that is ultimately going to bless all nations. It's an awesome promise. And I don't know how he's going to do it, but I'm looking to him. And Jesus says here that that is what Abram was doing. And he was glad. Notice the Jews' response here in John chapter 8. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abram? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you. Now, in in the Greek text, truly, truly, maybe you always wondered, does Jesus have a stuttering problem? No. He, when, whenever that's mentioned there, it really means amen, amen. In other words, it is true. It is true. In other words, listen up. It's a double truth here. Listen to what I'm saying. Truly, truly, he says. Notice these words that just jump off the page at us. I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Jesus claiming that he existed before Abraham was. Now you can understand why they wanted to take up stones and stone him. It sounded like blasphemy. Or it was true. He used the very context of Abram to show that he, Christ, is the fulfillment of the faith of God's people and that they're looking to from this very promise, that he is the one that Abram was looking to by faith. It is here that we look at this passage this morning and we see that Abram was looking to Christ just as the scriptures are calling us to look to Christ. He is sufficient. He is able. He is promising us. We're called to believe him, which we will go to in just a moment. This is why Peter in the New Testament encourages his readers in his second epistle in chapter 1, verse 3, and he says this, that he has given us his divine power and by it has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and his own excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Church, you may not be being called to move physically from a geographical location, but God is saving you from this world. He is saving you from yourself and your own sin, and certainly from Satan. We ought to be excited about this because right here in this text, we see ourselves. God is calling us out to follow him in a journey of faith. He is the great I I am, the ever-present one, that he's just not just calling us into relationship as we looked at in this journey. He's also calling us by his great and precious promises. And then thirdly here, as we go into our third point, he's calling us to a journey of continual obedience. Take a look at verse 4 of back in Genesis chapter 12. 
Notice Abram's response. And don't miss this. The very first three words of verse 4. So Abram went. Now we just looked at the passage of Jesus. We know that he's looking forward to Christ. We know from Hebrews 11 that he went by faith, leaving a land that he didn't know he was, where he was, not knowing where he was going. But here in Genesis, the way that the author puts it is Abraham went. In, in, in implying what? Abram obeyed the Lord. He believed God. And why is that important? We know that he believed because the actions that came out of his life proved his, obe- or proved his faith. Faith acts upon the truth. And so we see here in verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord told him. The issue is not whether God is speaking. The question is, are we listening and are we obeying? Do we believe that he means for our good? Are we giving ourselves completely to him and obeying him? Notice the text says, and Lot went with him. I think it's important that we see in the life of obedience, it affects others around us. Notice it says the context of his life that Abram was 75 years old. It's never too late to follow the Lord. In fact, many of the saints of Genesis didn't actually begin truly walking with the Lord until late in their lives, let alone uh, uh, Moses at 80 years old. But Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Notice that he's bringing uh, his wife Sarai and his lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered. Again, I think right here is a little mini outline if you'd like to see some of the the challenges that maybe have in following after the Lord. It's right here in the text. Now, it doesn't say that Abram struggled with them, but I'm sure we do. That sometimes when God calls us to go, we got to leave our possessions. And sometimes we get to take some with us, and he blesses us uh, abundantly. But notice possessions could be something that hinders us in our walk of faith. Also, people surely friends and family were questioning this move that they but they were able to bring their whole household it, it, their journey of faith was affecting all of their lives and so whether these people believed or not they were going along with abram notice at the end of verse 5 to the land of canaan and then as you follow through this passage it's continual obedience we see this in chapter um, or again in chapter 12, verse 6 here, that Abram passed through the land uh, at Shechem. And then we see he goes further and he builds an altar in verse 7. And then in verse 8, he moved to the hill country uh, to the uh, east of Bethel. In other words, it's continually showing that he's walking with the Lord. He's not knowing where to settle yet, but he's there. He's, he's journeying. The path is on. And so it is in a journey of faith that we are called to continually follow the Lord, constantly listening to him, constantly listening to his word, what he will do and what he has promised. So Abram went. Dear Christian, how is God's word being believed in your heart? Do you simply have a mental attestation to the truth of God? Or have you gone to him and trusted him by faith. And you might say, well, how do I know if I have? Well, right here in the text, it shows us that Abram obeyed. It's the action of faith 
that proves the very birth of faith in our own hearts. Jesus said it this way, you'll know them by their fruits. In other words, if you love me, he says, you'll obey my commandments. It's not in a cold way, it's in a truthful way. He wants us to know where we stand and we see that evidence in our lives through obedience. It's an act and walk of faith, the reality of our faith that cheers our souls as we walk and we don't know what's over the horizon, but he's calling us to himself. And yes, while there's a location in the future that we would call heaven, an eternal dwelling with the Lord, ultimately we're following the person of God. And Abram's example here is what it means to walk with God in obedience to him, not deceiving ourselves, as James later says in the New Testament, by not walking and being doers of the word. So Abram's faith is evidenced here by obedience. He went. And this is a challenge to us this morning to follow after God. It's not good enough for us to hear God's word preached over and over again, week after week, of all that he's done and all that he promises, and then it's insanity to do not believe it and obey it. And truly, he wants us to follow him and not be lost. And so, yes, God initiates this relationship with Abram, but it's also this journey of obedience that he calls them to. So look here at verse 5. We see this another act of obedience here. He says that Abram took his people into his possessions. He, he, he led in all that was under his charge in that direction. Men, I think there's times in our lives that we are seeking to follow the Lord by faith and we are asking the Lord for grace when our families question our leadership. If we're call it, being called to go and do something in, in God's name that we would have the respect of our families or friends even. But not, that's not the case all the time. We're called to act in faith. And so right here we see these obstacles that can take place even in our own walk with the Lord. So it's interesting that as we walk through this text, we see more and more of what God is calling Abram to, that the reality of God in working his sovereign redemptive plan in human history involves this precious man, Abram, and ultimately reality had touched him, and he is walking after the Lord. Thirdly, if you look at verse 6 here, notice Abram passed through the land. I'm listing some of the acts of obedience here. And then so he passed through the land. So this is what God had told him to do. And then fourthly, at the end of verse 7, notice that he obeys the Lord in building an altar. And then if you go even further in verse 8, we see that he's moving again through the hill country. Sixthly, even, you could list that one, that at the end of verse 8, he builds another altar, and he calls upon God at Bethel. And then ultimately, uh, the passage ends with this, this continual journey going on here that Abram journeyed on towards the Negev. It's a continual walk. Church, Abram is an example to us of faith as the New Testament tells us. He's a man of faith, and it, not just reflecting on yesterday's obedience, but it's a continual obedience in the same direction. This is what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul says it this way to the Colossians, that just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Well, what does Paul mean there? Well, just as you received Christ by faith, continue in him by faith. So nothing has changed here even for us as believers. We are called to follow after the Lord. And we need Christ just as much today in our sanctification as you did when you first saw your need for his justification. We are called to walk in him like Abraham, one day at a time, enduring in faith. And so we've looked at this journey of faith involving relationship with him. Secondly, we see Abram's um, receiving these precious promises of God. Thirdly, we see his believing God, believing those promises and evidenced by his obedience of actually going. And then finally, we see this journey involves our last point. It's a journey of faith in worship. Now, if you've ever considered what worship is, perhaps you think of just Sunday morning and that is true. God calls us to gather together and to worship him. It's appropriate and it's good. And hopefully you are here because you want to. And some of you kids might say, well, I didn't really want to get up, but mom and dad told, took me. Either way, you're here in God's providence. And we're here for no other purpose but to worship. To lift him up. This is why we do what we're doing. Why? Because God has called us to do it. It's for our good, but also for his glory. And Abram is notice here, he is, this is an act of obedience, that he is obeying the Lord in worshiping him. And so we see this twofold. We see this in verse 7 that we just looked at, and then also at the end of the passage, we see that he's also building an altar in verse 8. We know that God is giving this land to Abram. He's calling him out, and he responds to God in building these altars. God is worthy of our worship. He worshiped as he waited on the next step. He worshiped in place where he was. And isn't this instructive to us that God calls us to worship in the place that we're at right now, today? He doesn't, we're not called to wait until he brings the fulfillment of all things, which we will do. One day we will all stand around the throne praising God for all he has accomplished in all of human history because he's great and he's worthy to be praised but he's also worthy to be praised in the dark valleys that we walk in in this journey of faith. Right now, today, he is to be worshipped. In verse 8, it says that he went through the hill country between Bethel and Ai. And again, in verse 8, he builds the altar. And notice the, in the context of verse 8, it says that Abram called upon his name. The one who took the initiation or the initiative in verse one, God, we now see Abram by faith responding to God and calling upon God's name. Isn't that interesting that in the work of God's precious work in the human heart, that he works it in such a way that we desire to speak to him and to communicate with him and to commune with him. Abram called upon his name, and from the passage that we looked at in John 8, we know that Abram longed to see the day that Jesus would come. And yet the Jews dismissed him as a mere blasphemer, and they nailed him to a cross. And Jesus himself from the cross said, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. But we know from the very echoes of the Old Testament that Jesus was fulfilling that which God had always promised. 
and he proved that as we celebrated just a few weeks ago by rising from the dead. And it's through his resurrection that we have proof of our justification, that he is who he claimed to be. He is worthy of our focus and our following and our faith, just as Abraham says in this text, he is. Church, the Christian life is not just the knowledge of God's words and his promises. It's our lives of worship before him. He is pleased when we look to him. He is pleased when we, uh, that he becomes our soul's salvation. He is all that our souls long for. He is pleased and glorified when we tell him who he is and who we really are. We recognize our sin and our depravity and that we're nothing without him. He is worthy of this journey. We, as Abram, are recipients of much grace. We know through the story of the book of Genesis, Abram was not perfect. He didn't always follow in faith. Evidenced even by Hagar, taking Hagar and thinking that she would bring children to him at his wife's encouragement. But ultimately, at the end of the day, God brings his focus back. Where is our focus this morning? Are we delighting in the God who called our name? Is he the object of your faith? Or is he something merely that you are acquainted with and that you simply hope that God will just show mercy to you, but you refuse to obey him, you refuse to look to him, that he is not the salvation of your soul. He is not one that has drawn near, but he's just a far off and you, you know about him and you, you know the stories and you've connected the Sunday school stories, but you've never called out to him and said, God, save me. Save me from the Ur of the Chaldees. Save me from my flesh. Save me from a horrible future of separation from you. Have you ever called out to him? Abram rejoiced in the Lord. He rejoiced and he worshiped. And so the question is, are we really worshiping or are we just seeming to worship? Notice authentic worship here for Abram was costly. Abram had not only left all things to follow after the Lord, but each place that he stopped, he is sacrificing to the Lord. He is looking to him. He's calling upon to the name of the Lord. It reminds me of what Paul says in the New Testament after explaining to the Romans the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and all he's done in his life and his death and his resurrection. He says, what sort of men ought we to be in that same mindset that we would see in the Old Testament? And he says it in these words in Romans chapter 12, that in light of the gospel and in light of all that God has done, the only reasonable response, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Old Testament, we see God's worship and the worship of animal, uh, I mean the worship of sacrificial animals. But we know through the context of Scripture that God laid himself down. And now in the context of the New Testament of understanding what it means that God has done and what he's accomplished at the cross, he calls us to get on the altar. True worship is not just costly as we see in Abram's life, but it's authentic. As our hearts, we gather to him. Our very lives he wants on the altar. And what is it about that? Lord, why do you want my life, my body on that altar? Ultimately, 
that what is sinful would be destroyed and that which is alive would be exalted. Notice the very context of what Paul even says to the Corinthians that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit that we have from God. And what is it that God desires in the life of a believer is that you would die to self and that Christ would be magnified in your bodies. In fact, that was the, the prayer of the Apostle Paul. That I would die, that I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the very Abram that was called and tested to sacrifice his own son, God is saying, you believe me, then follow me. If you want to follow me, get on the altar. It's our very lives, church, that he calls us to. And notice that the very context of this blessing, he says that is going to bless the nations. And why is it that he wants to kill self in us and wants us to um, get rid of our sin and put it to death, that Christ would live? Because God is not finished with his redemptive plan in our generation. And this is where it gets exciting because the promise of Abraham is still being fulfilled. And he's doing this through his church. He's calling us to go take this message that people from every tribe and nation would call out to him. This is why we pray for unreached people groups. That the man view of China would call upon his name because he's valuable. Because he's worthy. He's worth it. His sovereign plan is being worked in our generation. He is saving our friends and neighbors. He is coming back for us. And I don't know if this excites you, but he has chosen us to go. The journey of faith involves not just relationship with the Lord. It doesn't just involve his precious promises being believed and obeyed. But right here in the text, we see that involves our worship. And the very context of our worship is that we would go like Abraham did. Now, it doesn't mean that God's calling you to go around the world, but he may be calling you across the streets. How is he to be worshipped if they've never heard of him, as Paul says in Romans? How will they hear if there's not one preaching? How will they go if they never heard, let alone if they're sent? Church, this is awesome. This text speaks of the glories of God in Abram's life, but it's so much true of our own day. And so we might feel like we're wandering in a desert without a GPS. But listen to God's call and his gracious command this morning. If you have never turned to him in faith and repentance, start that journey this morning. There's not another hope that you'll have another chance to flee the very fires of hell. God is calling you and he's graciously giving you the display of his gospel that he initiated this relationship. He died in your place and he rose again. And he's calling you to follow him by faith in this journey. And his gracious command to you this morning is to follow him. As he encouraged his disciples, leave your nets and follow me. What is he challenging you today? What is the, the thing that's in the way for you to follow after the Lord? Maybe for some of us, what is, what is in the way of us sharing the gospel with people we know need it? And God has given you opportunity and you know that. Are we just scared of being rejected? Are we, we scared of someone not believing? Or we're scared of not putting our words together enough to clearly articulate the gospel? Trust the Lord. It's amazing what he does as we turn to him in faith. 
And church, we may have no idea what is ahead on the journey. Physically, for our families, what it will entail, what it's going to encounter. That, that's happened for me this year. No idea where I would be this time last year. But God, who called Abram in this text, is, it shows that he is faithful. He will always lead us to the same place, and that's to himself. And ultimately, we see from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, that ultimately the goal is the celestial city. And so I close with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, speaking of Abram, says this, for he, Abram, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Are you obeying him? Are you heading to the celestial city? How is your heart this morning on this journey of faith? Let's pray. God, what glorious truths that you always show us in your word. Oh, God forbid that we, any of us would be untouched by it, unchanged. Oh, God, you're so kind to initiate a relationship with us in Jesus Christ. We are a sinful people, and you have been so kind in showing us your grace and pouring out your spirit upon us. Lord, we see in the life of Abram that you communicated and communed with him. We saw that it's, it's, it is a journey of faith and obedience continual obedience. We're called not to give up, to not take our hands off the plow. We also saw in our text this morning that it's a call to worship, oh God. Would you help us in this journey of faith to be people that worship, and that worship being exemplified not just in our activities of worship, but Lord, ultimately in believing your promises and, and acting upon them. Lord, you've been so kind to this church. We've been able to take the gospel to foreign lands. But God, we're so excited that you're not done yet. Would you take these, these words of faith and these, these even limp prayers at times, and would you make something wonderful of them as we seek to glorify you? Lord, we need you as we look to you in faith. You are the object of our faith, and we believe you, as we sang just a few moments ago, that you will hold us fast, but you also want to be proclaimed in our bodies. We are crucified with Christ. You are our life. There's nothing else that we have, nothing that we should hang on to. Help us to put to death our own sin that you might be exalted in. Be glorified through this church, Lord, we pray, and through our lives, in our families as we journey by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.